Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Acts of the Apostles. Uh, that is the name of the series with a heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit. All right. How many of y'all excited about going through Acts this fall? Yeah. How many of y'all, mostly that's because you're charismatic. Just be honest, okay? Um, I've, I find that Acts really, it really does some funny things to the church. As soon as you mention, hey, we're gonna be going through a series in Acts, you have your charismatic people, and I'll just say now, you can put your super soaker full of anointing oil back in its holster, okay? <laughs> just set that thing down for a sec. And, uh, but it really, I mean, we see, it, it's not the birth of the Holy Spirit, but it is the prolific explosion of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And there are mir- miraculous things that happen. There's miraculous empowerment. There are things that should blow our mind. And we as a church, we are fully continuationalist. And what that means is we believe that everything that we read about and see in Acts is available and should be pursued today. We'll get more into that in the coming weeks. But I, I find that like, Charismatics go nuts about the book of Acts, but then you also have this kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe the hipster people that are just like, yes, finally, we're going to get back to what matters most in the book of Acts, right? And, and they're probably like, I don't know, a barista at a coffee shop, and they have a mustache, and they're ordering like an oat milk latte, you know, and maybe a little cardamom on top. It sounds phenomenal, actually. I could go for one of those after church today with the fall weather you're talking about, you know? But this kind of like, hey, let's just, let's just get back to what the early church did. The only problem with that is the early church... Uh, was the start of a movement that carried forward to the outermost parts of the earth, of which we are a recipient of their faithfulness today. You realize that we're not in Jerusalem right now, right? And so this movement is carried across the globe. And so to go back, the church is not called to go backwards. The church is called to go forwards. And so both of those things, I think what we'll see is some correction and maybe some direction as a church for what this book is and what this book means. And in chapter one, you actually get the blueprint for the entire thing. So if you have your Bible, open on up to Acts chapter one. We'll read it in just a sec. But to kind of set the stage for the whole series, I want to tell you about a guy named William Tyndale. Anyone know who William Tyndale is? Praise, look, I love a nerdy church. Come on, guys, this is awesome. Um, William Tyndale uh, is one of, the, one of the, the fathers, one of the figures of the Reformation. So he lived in the late 1400s, early 1500s. And William Tyndale lived in a time when the Bible was actually outlawed to be in any other translation than Latin. Latin was the, you, you were studied, you were probably appointed clergy if you could speak Latin. And so the way that the Catholic church had, had raised up uh, the, the church's awareness of the Bible was to protect it all. And you can kind of, you can see some good intentions here that they wanted only qualified clergymen to be teaching the Bible to avoid any doctrinal drift that may happen. And so what happens is this guy, William Tyndale, he rises up and he, he rises with this conviction, this absolute conviction that the Bible is not meant for the religious elite. The Bible is meant for everyone. And so he actually uh, is, is credited with giving all of the work put in for us to eventually have the New King James Version. He is the first person to take the actual Hebrew and Greek works of the New Testament and translate them directly into English. Here's what I'm saying. You can thank William Tyndale for having an English version of your Bible today. This guy was a legend, and he's even more legendary for this quote right here. I defy the Pope and all of his laws. We're starting off spicy right there, right? Like if you've got a Catholic background, you're a little bit like, hold up a second, right? 
I defy the Pope and all of his laws. If God spare my life for many years, which God did, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scripture than he does. Here's what this is saying. The Bible was meant for everyone. The Bible was meant for the people because the people are the church. The pastors aren't the church. The people are the church. And if this thing that we're going to watch unfold in the book of Acts is really a movement that should be bought into fully with our lives, then it has to belong to all of us, not just the religious elite, not just those organizing church services. This is for everyone. Does that make sense? So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts chapter one, verse one, it says, I'm gonna break this up kind of as we go, okay? We're only gonna tackle eight verses today. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, so right there, just some context for you. In the first book, what does that mean? This is the second book. This is part two of a two-part volume. The first being the gospel of Luke. So if you actually flip back, you don't have, this isn't gonna be on the screen, but I'm gonna flip back to Luke chapter one, verse one, okay? This is how Luke opens up his gospel, his account, his telling of the story of Jesus. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministries of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So Luke starts off writing his gospel saying, I'm trying to create this orderly account. Luke is a physician by trade. Theophilus was a generic name, which just meant lover of God. But probably it's a specific person that would have been Luke's master at the time that he's writing an account for all this thing that happened with Jesus. So Theophilus hears about these murmurings of this this rabbi that's teaching, he's doing these miracles, and he sends Luke. He's like, hey, go capture everything that's happening right now. That's how we get the gospel of Luke. But there's there's two things that you have to know as we come into Acts, is that Acts is meant to be the follow-up to the to-be-continued moment of the gospel of Luke. You know, you know when episodes or your favorite show and it's like a series finale and you're gonna have to wait all the way until wherever until this comes up and then there's an episode and it ends with what? To be continued. And it's like this cliffhanger moment. You gotta wait all the way until next week or next year, whenever else, the next thing's gonna come out. When we read the story of Jesus Christ, we as Christians in the modern American church, because we, we know the whole story, we read up to Easter, don't we? And we celebrate Easter as the pinnacle moment, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as it should be. I, I, every Sunday is, super, is, is, is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. We have that privilege as the church today. But to be the church then, there was this moment when Jesus rose up from the grave. And what is one of the first things that he says? All authority has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gives them the great commission. He commissions the church to go out. Then what we read in Acts is the commissioning of the church. And so it is, it is this part way through of the, of the gospel of Luke. We read about the stories of how Jesus did all these incredible things. Luke is meticulous over the birth and the prophecies that led up to Jesus's birth. We go through all the miraculous things that he did, all the stories that he taught, all the parables that he told, all the way up until the point that he gives his life for all of humanity in the sacrifice on the cross. 
only to be triumphant days later, rising again from the grave, defeating death and sin. And then he stands up and he says, all authority now has been given to me. So go, or better translated, now as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we read the very first line of the book of Acts, in the first book, that is the gospel of Luke. But then he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What does that imply? That he's not done yet, right? There is still work to be completed. So he says, in everything that I began to do and teach, now verse two, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, so Jesus literally is saying, hey, I'm gonna spend about 40 days with you here on this earth. And what he does in that 40 days since he resurrects is he spends time encouraging them. He spends more time teaching them. He spends a lot of time just reassuring them that he has risen from the dead. Isn't it encouraging to your heart and to my heart that when Jesus rose from the dead, it said that some who were gathered there believe and others doubted. What does that mean? It means that you're convinced that if you could just see Jesus walk with your own eyes, then you would have more faith to follow after him. But the Bible tells you that's not true. Don't the Israelites in the Old Testament tell you that's not true? They followed a pillar of smoke and fire and they still doubted and they still worshiped other gods. And so Jesus says, you're gonna go and you're gonna wait until the commands that I've given you through the Holy Spirit come to pass. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So what is that all about? You can imagine that like Jesus rising from the dead, like I was trying to think of like a moment in cinema that would feel like that. And there just really isn't one. Like you've been following after this guy. He's been doing all this miraculous things. Even the winds and the sea obey him. He gets to raise people from the dead. And then all of a sudden he's, he's murdered. And, and you have like the darkest Saturday that you've ever had in your whole entire life. Cause you're like, what did I just give the last three years of my life following after? He's gone. Only for him to raise from the dead. <laughs> you have Thomas where he's like, I'm not gonna believe it until I get to put my finger in your hand and in your side. And Jesus is like, all right, bet, like do it. You know, he, Jesus did not talk like that. Okay, he did not talk like that. <laughs> But there's like Jesus shows up in the prayer meeting. They're in locked doors. They're behind locked doors. They're afraid. Jesus just apparently can go through walls in his glorified body. He just shows up and he's like, what's up guys? How's it going? They're like, oh my gosh, he's here. He's risen. And wouldn't that feel like just the best moment ever? Like I just imagine myself just, and this is me probably giving myself more credit than I really deserve, but it's like, let's go. What do you want to do? Like, let's steamroll everything right now. Pharisees, Rome, whatever you want, Jesus, I'm your guy, I got your back, let's go. And what does he say? Wait, wait for the promise that I said to you. What is the promise that he said to you? John 16, seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I leave. Why? Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Well, who is the helper? We read about it in verse five, the next verse. Jesus says, for John baptized immersed into water, but you will be baptized immersed into or with the Holy Spirit. So listen, baptism of the Holy Spirit, are we gonna go there? Oh yeah, that's all next week. You gotta come back. It's gonna be awesome. 
John baptized with water, but you, believers, followers of me, you will be baptized, immersed, totally, totally following after the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So wait. And just like every good Christian in the room, what's their next question? So when? So when, right? So when they'd come together, they asked, Lord, when is it that you're going to come? When is the time? Is it right now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, these were a bunch of good Jewish boys who knew their Bible. They knew with the promised coming Messiah, once he came, he would inaugurate what? His kingdom. His kingdom. Like he was going to set up his power here on earth. And so the disciples are like, let's do this thing right now. When are you, is it now, Lord? You're going to do it right now? Turns out the more things change, the more us Christians all stay the same. Because how many of you have been convinced at one point or another that Jesus is for sure coming back in your lifetime? How many people, if we just look back in time, we're like, Jesus is for sure coming back in my lifetime. And guess what? We're still waiting. We're still, we are still right here waiting for him to return. And now he's going, we're not going to read it today, but if you keep reading the story later on your own, you see that the same way that he left is the same way he's coming back. He's coming back. Oh, for sure he's coming back. But our problem is that we're always convinced that it's going to be right now. Jesus, aren't you going to do this right now? But more often than not, the command from Jesus is to wait. Wait right here. But don't wait purposelessly. He says, listen, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So, so there goes every YouTube prophet that you're like maybe hearing about, right? I've, I've been watching the moons and, you know, there's this blood moon thing going on. This thing's happening with Israel. And it's like, hey, guess what? Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. He's waiting for the Father to say, now. Now's the time. Go. And that is going to be awesome. And we should long for it. And we should strain towards it. We should press on. We should press in all the way up until he comes back. But we shouldn't be convinced that that's not going to take a long time. It might still take a while. There might still be some suffering. We're going to read. You know, you know what? sets off the church in the book of Acts? I'd love if I had a better answer for you. Suffering and persecution. That's what makes the church explode. So we wait and we long and we press in. And as we wait, here's what we cling to. Here's the promise. Here's the outline now for the rest of the book of Acts. Jesus says to the disciples, Jesus says to the apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you know what happens from this moment right here when Jesus says that? You have Acts 1 through 7, where, where the disciples and the apostles in Acts chapter 2, they have this falling of the Holy Spirit and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go from there and they start witnessing and doing all these miraculous things in Jerusalem, in the city they live in, Acts 1 through 7. Acts 8 and 9. Now they're moving into Judea and Samaria. And then now from Acts 10 through the rest of the book, Acts 10 through 28, they're going to the outermost parts of the earth, mainly Rome, which was the cultural, worldly epicenter of the world they lived in today. That's how the book rolls from here. It's amazing to read the book of Acts because what we'll see in the next few weeks, Peter stands up, the coward, right? Who couldn't, even, who couldn't even stand up to Jesus in front of the slave girl, now all of a sudden stands up in front of thousands and starts proclaiming the truth of who Jesus really is. So for all the charismania that maybe scares you about the book of Acts, remember this, most often in the book, if you, I would, I would ask you, read through up until the stoning of Stephen, read through the first seven, eight chapters of the book of Acts, and what you will see more often than not is the Holy Spirit came 
and the apostles spoke boldly the witness of Jesus Christ. They, they spoke up with courage. They testified in faith. And, and it's, it's Peter and John before the council, right? And it says, it's my life verse, Acts 4.13. They were just clearly uneducated common men. Same root word we get the word idiot from in English. The high council, looking at Peter and John, is like, they're really dumb. They're kind of a couple of morons. But what's the back half of the verse? It was clear they had been with Jesus. Later on in that, it goes, the trial is going on, and they're like, hey, listen, just shut up. Quit talking about Jesus. We're going to beat you up. We're going to throw you in prison. And what's their response? You do whatever you have to do. But as for us, we can't help to testify to the things that God has done. So they go, and they're his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. And this movement starts, and the church explodes onto the earth. The followers of Jesus. There are thousands of people. For everyone who's like, I don't want to be a part of a big church, I'm like, the very first church was a mega church. Thousands of people in one day give their life to Jesus. I'm just like, we're feeling the pinch of like how to organize things and how to be strategic and how to do all this stuff. I'm like, they had 3,000 people show up in one day. How'd you baptize all those people, guys? Like, I just have quite, like, logistically, when was the baptism class? How many teachers did you have for it? How did you walk people through in the baptism? Did you change the water after a little bit? No, they used a river. It was always changing water, right? <laughs> I have all these questions. And, and listen, in the next couple of weeks, we will talk about the things that the early church did, what they majored on, what they focused on. But for today, there's really two things that we see that capture the heartbeat of this movement called the church. The first is that the apostles were completely sold out to the message of Jesus. They were, complete, they were completely bought in to who Jesus was. Some of them had gotten to walk with him. They had the privilege of being next to him when he, when he multiplied the bread, when he raised the sick boy from the dead. They were next to him when he, when he did all these miraculous things, turned the water into wine, walked on the sea. They saw it happen. They saw him die. They saw him raise again. They put their hands in the wounds from, from what happened. They were completely sold. Not just that Jesus lived this awesome life, did these cool miracles, and then rose again. They were convinced that they had had their sin completely washed away. That they were now able to boldly come before the throne room of heaven and ask and speak to God as one would speak to a friend. They knew that they were adopted, beloved sons and daughters of the Most High King who had all authority on earth that had been given to him. They knew it. They knew this story and they believed in it deeply. They were so convinced that as you go through Acts and as you read about it, there's nothing that will stop them from taking this even into the most hostile of environments. And so my question for us today, has your heart and mind been fully captivated by the message of Jesus? Before you just, you know, you're in church and so you just, your gut reaction every time you see Jesus is just, yes, or, you know, what's the answer? Jesus, right? Like we just have this Gut, gut response. It's like the doctor hitting your knee and it like flings out. You're just like, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Where in your life can I see the evidence of you being his witness in the world that you live in? Because guess what? If you, if you really were sold out for the message of Jesus, if your heart and if your mind were really captivated by the story of Jesus, then you wouldn't need a series through the book of Acts to compel you to go talk to your neighbors about who Jesus is, would you? You'd just be doing that already. Oh, listen, there's so many of you. I'm so encouraged by the stories that I keep hearing about you guys taking this message out into the world we're living in. But that's why every single service, at the end of service, we don't just say, God, thank you for a really good time to get today. No, we say, now God, take us out into this world so that we might be your witnesses wherever it is that we are. 
People, people think you're too busy to go share the gospel. When, when am I just going to cultivate these relationships? When am I just going to do all this Jesus stuff, right? And guess what? Jesus was a busy person too. He's kind of busy saving the whole world. You know what I mean? I, I, know, I know like your accounting job is really, really important. But Jesus was also like the reigning king of kings stepped down from heaven to go be, to be the savior of the world, right? He had some things to do. And that's why I love, we have to draw attention to it. The Great Commission is not drop everything you're doing and go. Sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts you and you need to listen to him. But more often than not, the better translation of the Great Commission is now as you go, as you do your life. I know you're busy with soccer on Saturdays. I was at the flag football field this Saturday for our first game, our first Saturday of many there this fall. But that's where I'm called to be a witness not just standing right here on this elevated platform talking to you guys. No, no, I'm, I'm called to go be a witness at the practice field. I'm called to be a witness when I'm running meetings and I'm over in Starbucks. I'm called to be a witness wherever, as you go, as you go throughout your life, you are called to be a witness, a representative of Jesus, wherever it is that you find yourself. I think that way too often we get convinced in the church that we're, I'm just, I'm like, I'm not motivated enough to go share the gospel. And maybe that's true, but maybe the reason you lack motivation is because you actually lack belief. Maybe you actually lack belief that this story is true, that, that Jesus absolutely is who he says he is, that he did what he came to do, that, that the eternal destinations that are destined for all of us are real. And so the best thing that we can maybe ask for on a morning, morning like today is, God, help me with my belief, right? It's, it's the, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. But it wasn't just that the apostles were fully sold out to the message of Jesus Christ that began this movement. The second other most critical component that made this movement successful is they were fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Listen, I know who we are as a church. I know that we have these kind of charismatic roots. If you've been through step one, you understand this, right? You understand that we want to be uh, this charismatic root and tradition. We also want to be this evangelical root and tradition. This was Kent's vision for the church a long, long time ago, and it's still just as true today as it's ever been, that we, we love the Bible and we love the Spirit and we think the two are friends. And effectively, what that does is it draws some of you who really love the Bible. And your Trinity, growing up in your Baptist tradition, was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Thank you very much, right? And some of y'all, you're drawn to the more charismatic aspects of who we are. And you're like, man, quit preaching. Let that guy get back up there and lead some more worship. And so that I would say, yeah, you're right. Sometimes that is the play. But listen, the truth is that the, the apostles started this movement and sustained this movement by their surrender to the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that some of you are going to be challenged in understanding that the Holy Spirit, here's how it works, two different ways. The Holy Spirit has uniquely equipped you in a specific way to represent and to bring his kingdom into this world. You have been gifted supernaturally by the Spirit of God to do something. There is not one person who is a part of the church of Jesus Christ that is not gifted uniquely by the Holy Spirit. It might be hospitality. It might be leadership. It might be, it might be preaching. It might be preaching. It might just be uh, organization, administration, it might be prophecy, it might be gifts of healing. All of these different gifts exist, but they exist for one reason. This is where it's going to challenge some of you charismatics. It's not about the gifts. The gifts exist to bring forth the kingdom. The kingdom goes forward so that the church has this avenue, this vehicle to keep bringing people into the church. The church is on the offensive 
always, and I'm not talking about offending people. I'm saying we're going forward. And what we're going forward under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's uncomfortable for some of us. Because it's, listen, I'll be honest, it's kind of uncomfortable for me sometimes. Where does the Holy Spirit want to go? I mean, I've got a pretty good blueprint. He wants us to be his witness, Jesus' witness, here, there, and everywhere else we go. But what does that mean in a moment? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? We don't like to lose that sense of, really, the word is what? Control. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, the Holy Spirit does what he wants to do. Are you, here's the, here's the second question for the morning, are you then living a life fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Is your answer, honestly, Holy Spirit, whatever you want, I, I want to go. Whatever you want to do. Maybe he's going to lead you in this series to move, honestly. Maybe you're going to be called to uproot and to go plant down elsewhere. Maybe he's just going to call you to start being more effective in the awkward space of witnessing to your neighbors. Like, like I, I think I heard evangelism described one way as um, really evangelism is, is just best defined as two people having a really uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> Isn't that true? But man, if you believe the message of Jesus and if you were surrendered to the Holy Spirit, don't you think it just makes sense if we add two and two together that every now and then you'd be having a gospel conversation with some random people at the gym, some random people at the soccer field, some random people in Walmart? Don't you think? Are we though? That's the question for all of us this morning. As we start this series, I want to draw your attention back to William Tyndale. William Tyndale was completely bought into the message of Jesus so much so that he was willing to risk his life to translate it into English because he believed the story of Jesus, the message of Jesus, deserved to be in every single person's hands in their own vernacular, in their own modern tongue, or in their own native tongue. But the end story of this guy doesn't end with him being esteemed really highly. Actually, do you know how it ends for William Tyndale at the age of 42? He's executed. He's martyred. He's put to death. Uh, by the early church. As a, he's tried as a heretic, found guilty because their belief at that point was there was supposed to be separation on who could have the Bible and who could not. But, but the really cool thing is because he was surrendered to the Holy Spirit, William Tyndale makes the first copy of the New Testament in English right at the same time as the printing press is developed. And there are tens of thousands of copies of the Bible put out into English. And it was a wildfire that the church at that time couldn't contain. And so now, today, you and I, we get to read our Bible in English, praise God. And praise God for me, really, because I don't need to know like Hebrew and Greek to teach all the time. You know what I'm saying? I defy the Pope. If God would spare my life for a little bit longer, I'm gonna do enough work followed by the Holy Spirit. I'm so convinced of this message of Jesus Christ that I'm gonna risk everything so that the boy that drives the plow would know just as much about the Bible as the pastor does. That's you. If this is going to be a movement, then we each have to make the decision today. Am I fully committed to the message of Jesus? Am I living my whole life in a way that, that proves that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? And not only did it stop there, but it actually began there? That Jesus then called the church after that? Because then I have to ask the question, am I fully surrendered to whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to go and do? It might be painful. 
I might sell stuff. I might move. I might just have to be okay with being the awkward guy at work. Not me, that's you. I work with a lot of Christians, right? I think, I think we're all good, right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take communion today. And this week, I wanna ask the Holy Spirit to meet us in the first question. And second, next week, we're gonna ask him to meet us in the second question. Are we surrendered to the Holy Spirit? But for today, as we take communion, here's, here's the beautiful thing about communion. Communion is a reflection of what Jesus has done. It's an anticipation of what he's going to do one day. But it also is the very real heart cry of today to go, God, I wanna experience you now. I think maybe the most effective prayer that you could pray right now during communion is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because if I believe fully, my actions, the things that I did, the things that I said, they would probably look a little different. So help those pockets of my heart that I don't believe. Maybe you struggle with fear and you don't believe the first part of the Great Commission, that all authority has been given to Jesus. Maybe you struggle to believe that you're really free free from sin, free from the bondage of sin, free from the penalty of sin. I I just draw your attention to the elements of communion, that Christ broke his perfect body on your behalf so that you could be declared righteous in his name. Maybe Maybe you're just like, I just don't know how much of this story I really believe in today. And here's what I wanna say to every person who's like waffling in their faith. If you don't believe in Jesus, then communion's not for you yet, but maybe today's the day where you go, Jesus, I, I wanna surrender it all to you right now. I wanna surrender everything to you. I wanna lay my questions down for right now, but I'm gonna trust that you died and that you rose again and that I can be declared innocent in Jesus' name. You can put your faith and you can put your trust in Jesus today if you want to. You don't have to wait another second. And you can receive communion with us for the first time. But for the rest of us who have made that decision, the prayer right now, could we actually, Judy, could we throw the question back up of Jesus? Has your heart and your mind been fully captivated, enraptured, captured by the message of Jesus. And I would just pray through pockets of your life where that may not be true. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would meet us here, draw us into an experience in union with Christ. Would we experience your goodness now, God? Would we experience your kindness now? love now. God, I pray, Lord, that we would earnestly seek you throughout this series, that we'd have the honest conversations with ourselves and maybe with those we love the most to really ask the questions of what is our belief looking like, God? We trust that your Holy Spirit is going to meet us in it and draw us into an everlasting life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we close, one more thought. Is that I think the danger that lies in being an American church attender is that church can really just be a place that you attend where religious services exist. You come to hear a sermon. You come to hear a worship set that's been put together. You come God bless you because there's childcare and your kids will be taken care of, you know? And you see church as a place you go rather than a movement that you're a part of. And my wonder as we finish today 
and as we start this series together, what would it actually look like if all six, 700 of us at this church here said, I don't wanna just attend a church, I wanna be part of a movement. Because this isn't gonna be a place where we cater to the comfortable for church. We want this to be a place that continually stirs us to evaluate if we're really living as part of the movement that Jesus has left on this earth. Because guess what? Just as the early church took, took the message from Jerusalem out to Judea and Samaria and then out to the outermost parts of the earth, our, our call is not to the, like go back to Jerusalem. We know that, right? We don't have to make a pilgrimage east and go, okay, let's start over again. No, our, our call is to go, God, I want to be your witness here in this city. I, I want to receive power from the Holy Spirit so that I can represent you well where I live and maybe out to the state, maybe out to the rest of the nation. And all at the same time, we're going to keep sending the gospel out to the whole earth. My question though is, do you want to be a part of a movement or do you want to maybe just be a comfortable church attender? Because we won't cater to the one. We're always going to strive to be the other. Amen. Let's stand. We pray for you as we head out. If you're willing, would you even just kind of posture your arms out in front of you like this? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prompt us and move us and lead us this week. God, I pray that we'd make time to sit with you, to pray to you, that our belief in you would be evidenced in the way that we pray, not just in a list for things to happen, but in a way for you to show up and to impact the city that we're living in. God, would you bring your kingdom to Northern Colorado? Would we see people healed? Would we see people set free? Would we see people experience the abundant life that you have to offer? Would we see people experience your salvation this fall? Would there be a harvest in our city, Jesus? Would you make a way? And would you help us as a church, not just be people who want to attend a religious service, but would we be people who see ourselves as part of a movement swept up in your story, Jesus, of what you're doing here on this earth, following after the spirit of God, and empowered by the Spirit of God as we go. Help us walk out of here in that way with that posture today, Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen.